Hey everyone, it's Sarah. So Nicole actually reached out to me a couple of years ago, and we ended up connecting and sharing where we were at over Zoom. We've stayed in touch ever since, and when I announced I was starting this podcast, she reached out and offered to tell her story again. This time, she chose to write down and read most of what she shares in this episode, because retelling something like this is a lot. It's a lot to remember, and this allowed her to gather her thoughts ahead of time and stay on track even though I kicked her off course a few times with some questions and my own thoughts. I ask almost everyone I talk to to write some things down anyway in a timeline form. Some people choose to write more, some less, but personally, I found it extremely helpful in many ways, not just in retelling a story, but getting something like this out on paper is very healing. Why would you not wanna get it all out of your head and leave it somewhere else, right? Listening to all of the mud that Nicole's ex dragged her through is probably going to be frustrating, but that's why you need to listen to the end because she retraces her steps and pieces together all of the warning signs that she now knows had been there throughout. She was trauma bonded, blinded by what she thought was love and continually getting sucked back in by charm and a belief that she was stuck. Content warnings for this episode are sexual assault, abuse, and suicidal ideation. So please listen with caution. So my name is Nicole and I was in a relationship with the narcissist for about three years. I can say that it has been one of the most painful things I've ever dealt with. Since I've been out of the relationship, I've been diagnosed with anxiety disorder, major depressive disorder, PTSD, and early insomnia. I couldn't get a definite diagnosis for ADHD because of existing autoimmune disease, but many of those symptoms can mimic the same as ADHD symptoms. So I am being treated with medication for ADHD and it's helping. When I met my ex, I was in a very good place in life. I was very content where I was. I had just turned 31 and I expanded my little family from one dog to two dogs. (laughs) I had been at my job at a large university for about a year and a half, and I had not dated much in my adult life because I just consider myself to be really picky and I didn't ever want to settle. In October of 2018, I was just very content on where I was in my life, and I had a handful of close friends and was always busy doing stuff with my girlfriends all the time. I was happy with being single and came to accept this might be the way that My future looked, but I wasn't sad or lonely. One day I went to a meeting on campus that brought together a bunch of people across campus um, and it took place every quarter. I walked into the room where the meeting was being held to sign in and the sign in was in the front of the room instead of the back of the room where it normally was. I walked up to the front of the room to sign in and when I looked up, my eyes locked with this guy that I'd never seen before. We smiled at each other and it felt like the entire room went silent and it was only him and I in the room. It was what I'd always imagined that it would feel like when I found my person. I thought this must have been what love at first sight feels like. I checked out his ring finger, of course, and he didn't have a wedding ring on. (laughs) After the meeting, we had a benefits fair because it was around open enrollment for insurance. So I told my friend Erica, who was in the meeting with me about the guy, and she spotted him in the benefits fair. So she walked up to him and introduced herself, and he introduced himself. And then she said, this is my friend, Nicole. I could hardly get the word hi out of my mouth. (laughs) 
He was so handsome and he seemed very put together, professional and captivating. He gave us a brief history about where he came from and how long he'd been working there. It was about a month at that point. And we found out that he worked in an office that the office I worked in, we worked closely together. So I told him that we'd probably be talking with each other pretty often. And then we went our separate ways. The next day, my friend Erica had to visit his office to talk to a coworker of his, and she invited me to go for the journey across campus. I agreed to go. And when I got there, I accidentally ran into his desk accidentally. (laughs) I talked to him at his desk for about 20 minutes. And I just asked about his family, what his hobbies were, trying to figure out if he was married or engaged, or if he was in a relationship, if he had children, all the things, because he didn't have any pictures or anything personal on his desk, which I thought was really weird. I found out that he'd been in the Air Force for four years. So we talked a little bit about that. I told him I tried to get into the Air Force, but I was medically disqualified. So I said, we should have lunch together. And he said that sounded good and asked me to email him when I got back to my desk so we could make a date. I sent him the email when I got back to my desk and we scheduled to have lunch a few weeks later. So we met up on October 30th of 2018. The lunch went really well and he was really animated. So he was very interested in me asking tons of questions, but he didn't elaborate very much about himself. I just took this as like he was really interested in me and generally trying to get to know me. So when the lunch ended, he hugged me and kissed me on the cheek. And I didn't think anything of that because he was Hispanic. And that seemed to be like something that's done in that culture very often. So I didn't think anything was weird about that. And he said that we should do it again soon. So he asked for my phone number. And I happily gave him my number, hoping I'd hear from him sooner than later. And 30 minutes later, I heard from him. He said we should do this again soon. So we talked and text over the next several weeks and he would FaceTime me and he'd call me. Uh, He was really inquisitive about my life. We went out on our first official date about a week after our initial meetup. We met for coffee. We sat for like three or four hours talking. After that, we ended up spending about three or four days a week together, which was really nice. And the bonus was that he absolutely loved my dogs and they loved him. So I felt like I was finally getting this dream of a life that I always wanted. And I cannot tell you how many times that I told my friends that I felt like I was in a real life Hallmark movie, (laughs) but I didn't know that it was going to end like a lifetime movie. (laughs) In November, 2018, we spent a lot of time together, but we didn't become official or exclusive yet. On our very first date at my house in November, 2018, he brought pizza and we had pizza and wine. And we started to try to get to know each other even more. And one of the conversations we had was about our ages. He was 42 and I was 31. And we each tried to guess each other's age like we hadn't looked each other up. (laughs) And then he said, let's be honest, we both Googled each other, right? And I said, yeah, I, I did. And he admitted he did. And then we both just had a good laugh about it. As the date continued going on, I knew what I wanted in the relationship. So I didn't want to waste any time. So I just started asking all kinds of questions. And he was like, hey, when you Googled me, you didn't find anything, did you? And I was like, nope, just a traffic ticket. Didn't think anything of it at the time. I just kept asking him questions. Do you want to be married someday? Do you want kids? Do you intend to live 
in the city for the rest of your life? Are you close with your family, et cetera, et cetera. So much to my surprise, he was pretty much the male version of me. He was very good at mirroring me and telling me everything I wanted to hear. Of course, I didn't recognize this was mirroring at the time. By the end of November 2018, he told me that we were on a fast track to marriage because when you know, you know. So at this point, I just really felt like this was the man that I was going to marry. How could I not when we were just so much alike and things were so easy with him? This is who I'd been waiting for all my life. So quick question. When he said you're on the fast track to marriage, how did that make you feel? Do you feel that you truly agreed or were you more caught up in the excitement or the potential in that moment? Oh, I was like 100% on board. I was like, I know people that have not known each other very long and they've gotten married. And when you know, you know, and, you know, I'm like, everybody's married. I'm ready for that. I was on board. So he was just really patient, kind and caring. He would text me in the mornings or call me and tell me to have a great day. And he made me feel really safe to be vulnerable with him. At the beginning of December of 2018, he was talking about going to Miami to visit his family for Christmas. So he had mentioned that it might be a possibility that I could go with him. So I asked him through text since I was possibly meeting the family, if that meant that I was officially his girlfriend. And he said, it sure appeared that way. I mean, we'd already talked about marriage, so that would make sense. He asked that we would have the conversation in person rather than through text. So I went over to his place after work that evening and we talked about it. And he told me he didn't know if it was a good idea for us to be in a relationship because we worked so closely together. He liked to keep his personal life and his work life separate. But he's saying this after he's already said you're on the fast track to marriage. Yep. But of course, I'm not registering like I'm not putting two and two together. I'm just like every moment that I have with him and I'm spending in the present moment, I'm just hanging on every word he's saying. Oh, absolutely. And I realize we're sitting here years later from a bird's eye view. And I already know that things hit the fan, which so it's easy to go, wait, that doesn't match. Right. (laughs) Carry on. (laughs) Then what he said next is he said that he wasn't good with relationships. And I now believe the saying when people show you or tell you who they are, believe Mm -hmm. them. (laughs) We became official towards the end of December of 2018. And then in the middle of December, we took a trip to St. Augustine, Florida. So it's a few hours from where we live. And we went to see the Christmas lights. It was so romantic. It was magical. That really felt like a Hallmark movie. At one point, we put our bags down the alleyway and we danced to Christmas music in the alley. Ironically, while we were there, we ran into one of his superiors that worked in his department, whom we both know. And he wanted to dodge her at all costs. I'm still not sure why he did that and why he didn't want her to see us together. But it frustrated me because I felt like he was hiding me. Even then, I felt like that. When we got back to the Airbnb that night, I told him that it frustrated me because I felt like he was trying to hide me in our relationship. And I said that I wish he weren't so flaky sometimes. And he said, I don't appreciate you attacking my character like that. So I immediately apologized because I didn't want him to be upset with me. And I didn't, he didn't like that I was pointing out a flaw of his. 
But other than that hiccup, the rest of the trip was really good. After we got home, things were good. So still in this honeymoon stage of the relationship, we went about work the next week. He came over Friday night after work. We had dinner and he even cooked me breakfast the next morning. I could tell something was off. His mood was off. Although I didn't realize it at the time, I was walking on eggshells. Sunday, December 23rd, 2018, he was supposed to go to his sister's in Orlando for the Christmas holiday. But when I texted him in the afternoon, he hadn't left yet. And I asked if I could come by to visit him. And he said he appreciated me checking, but he wanted to be alone to do some things and think through things. Of course, that put me on edge. So I called him. And he said that he was just so overwhelmed with all of the responsibilities on him right now. So starting a new job a few months ago, he was still on his six-month probationary period at work. He started volunteering at the library and being in this new relationship. So he said he needed to take a break from the relationship. And because I thought he was such a gift, I asked if he would be willing to meet up and talk when he got back from his sister's to make sure that that's actually what he wanted. And he said he would reach back out when he got home so that we could talk. And when he returned, he said he had so much time to think about things and he hoped that we would be able to talk in person since texting only went so far. So I went over to his place later that day and we talked about his trip and about what he had time to think through. And he told me that he didn't wanna be without me. So he wanted to continue our relationship and then I had this weird feeling that he never even went to his sister's. So I said, you didn't even go to your sister's, did you? And he said, what do you mean? I said, you didn't go, did you? And he just shook his head and said, no, I just wanted to be here alone. And then I said, don't lie to me. Huge red flag. What up until that point yeah. would have given you any reason to not trust, like take him at his word? Had you caught him in any white lies okay. or anything at that point? Nothing. I feel like I've always had the gift of discernment and I just, I didn't trust my gut in this relationship. Mm. And so many things happened like this. I would get a feeling and then I would make an excuse or, you know, like, oh, it's not real. It's not true. Sometimes the only time we figure it out is trial and error. Unfortunately. But New Year's Eve was a couple days after this conversation we had. So we spent New Year's Eve together. And that was the first time he met my mom. My mom thought he seemed really sweet and he was really attentive of me. Just a real gentleman. He and I enjoyed a really great evening together. And we had many discussions up to this point about how I was a virgin and I was saving myself for marriage. And he talked like he was so respective of that and really honored me for making that decision. I will admit there were many times I worried about being in a relationship the older I got and that a partner would break up with me because of that decision. But he made me feel assured that it was okay. And he'd already told me that we were on the fast track to marriage. So it made me feel like I wouldn't have to wait long to experience this with him. In January of 2019, I found out that a friend of mine had a dog sitting business and she watched dogs at her house. So I decided to test it out. Since I felt like Dustin and I may be traveling together on short weekend trips, and we might not always be able to take the girls with us, the girls being my dogs. <laughs> he came over that day and he helped me get the dogs to my friend's house. That night we had sex for the first time, unprotected, and it happened unintentionally on my part. 
there were many times during it that I said, ow, or stop, or no, and we shouldn't be doing this, but he didn't stop. And I didn't realize at the time what was happening. And I didn't realize that it was sexual abuse or rape. It's something I'm only starting to unblock during therapy and as the fog continues to lift. The next day, I noticed intense burning and a lot of pain. And I immediately started blowing up his phone. And when he finally got back to me a few hours later, I asked him when the last time he slept with someone was because I think he gave me something. He said, like he had told me before, because we'd had these discussions before, it had been at least a year and a half, and he'd been tested since then for STDs, and the tests all came back clear. We had a discussion back in late November about STDs and if he'd been tested, and he said that he was clean. I made a doctor's appointment for the earliest opening that week, and the test came back, and I had genital herpes, bacterial vaginosis, and HPV. It still breaks my heart that the very first time I ever had sex, it was not consented. It was not enjoyable, and it left me with these lifelong consequences. I was devastated by the news, and I felt so much guilt and so much shame. I felt dirty. I told him when I got the results back, and he acted completely surprised and said that he didn't know he had it. He said when he goes to get tested, he always asks them to run the full gamut of tests. I did learn, though, that you do have to specifically ask for a genital herpes test because since herpes aren't life-threatening, doctors don't include it in the normal STD test. It took me about a month to heal from the physical pain and trauma, and they still flare up every now and then when I'm going through a lot of stress. In February of 2019, he took me to dinner last minute for Valentine's Day. He never really made plans ahead of time or surprised me with things. I had bought tickets to take him at the end of March, 2019 to see this band that he really likes. And I booked an Airbnb so we didn't have to drive home the same night. The day before we were supposed to leave was his six month probationary review at work. He texted me the morning before going into work and said how excited he was for the trip. And then a few hours later, he texted me again and said that he'd been given a warning saying that his probationary period was being extended. And if he didn't improve, then they were going to let him go. So he said he needed to work this weekend and not go out of town. I was heartbroken and I wanted to break up with him right there because so many things were just piling up and it was frustrating. But I canceled the Airbnb. We talked that night. And he actually paid me back for what I couldn't get refunded, which that's surprising. I was trying to be an understanding and supportive girlfriend, but I was really frustrated. That weekend, he didn't even end up going to the office that much. So that really made me mad. But I didn't want to rock the boat, so I didn't express my frustration. The following month, April 2019, he went to Columbia to visit his mom. And while he was there, he would text me pictures and tell me all about what he was doing while he was there. We FaceTimed and he would tell me like how much he missed me and he couldn't wait to see me when he got home. And when he got back in town from his trip, he came to my house for a visit and he immediately started kissing me and we had sex. And then when it was over, he was like, oh gosh, I have to go. I forgot I have to get my rental car back to the agency by nine o'clock tonight. I sat on the edge of my bed 
And I just started crying because I felt so used. He asked why I was crying and I told him I felt used and like he just wanted to come by to have sex and then run because that's exactly what he was doing. He just said, I'm so sorry. I totally forgot. I have to get that back or they're going to charge me for another day. I feel awful. I had never felt more like an object in my life than I did in that moment. And he just kept telling me that he would make it up to me. So the week went by and he hadn't attempted to make anything up to me yet. The next week went by and he had not made an attempt to make it up to me yet. So I suggested that he take me to St. Augustine again, because I always felt like when we left the city we live in that he liked me more and he always seemed to be more affectionate when we were away from our own city. I thought it was the spark of St. Augustine that just felt romantic, but knowing what I know now, there was definitely more to it than that. We took the trip to St. Augustine the following Saturday, and while we were there, he gave me the bracelet and earrings that he bought for me in Columbia. I was actually really surprised. Something that I thought was really interesting and that I noticed it specifically during this trip was that he would tell me to go pose by pretty flowers or by a cool building and say that he just wanted to have pictures of me because I was so beautiful. Now, I think that's weird because I feel like those pictures are just kind of like his trophies. Did he take pictures with you? Yes. Like, he didn't have social media, but he would never allow me to post our pictures on social media. <laughs> yeah. And I thought like, he's such a private person. You know, he didn't have anything personal on his desk at work. He's so private. So I was just trying to be respectful of that. In the first couple weeks of May of 2019, we had plans and he ended up canceling those plans because his brother wanted him to come down to Miami and spend time with him. So he ditched me and didn't acknowledge my feelings about it. He just said, sorry, I'm going with my brother. I started therapy in July of 2019 because I felt like something was wrong with me. And since I hadn't had a lot of relationships in my adult life, I wanted to see if I was doing this relationship right. Was I expecting too much? What does a healthy relationship even look like? So over the next four months, things were okay. We took a trip to the beach. We went to the Springs. He took my birthday off of work at the end of September of 2019 and said that we could go anywhere I wanted. He was really sweet. So it felt like the beginning of our relationship, like he was love bombing me again. But I was so glad to have this sweet guy back. And then just three days after my birthday, he canceled plans with me again. And it was turned around on me. And I was the one apologizing to him. So I sent him a detailed email with my apology. And what runs through my head now, thinking about that is just, how profusely I was apologizing. Why? Why Why was I apologizing for him canceling on me? It's crazy what our minds do mm-hmm. and how they contort things in the moment. Absolutely. So then in the middle of October of 2019, he said he just couldn't do this relationship anymore. He said we felt like we were on two different pages, that I was so far ahead of him. And he knew what he felt for me. But he said he just couldn't put it into words. He knew that I so deeply wanted to hear him say that he loved me. When I was in this relationship, things he would do felt like he was showing me love, like letting me talk and be vulnerable. 
But now I understand that he was just using that information against me later. But he would come over to my house and he would help me clean, you know, do things that I hated doing, like cleaning my ceiling fan. He would do that or cleaning the little drip pans in the stove. He would just send me sweet morning text messages, wishing me a good day, text me and tell me how beautiful I am. And he was thinking of me and he would tell me he was praying for me. So like all that's just really mind boggling that he's saying like, I can't do this relationship. He came over a couple nights after the breakup and I just felt something telling me to ask him if he was addicted to porn. And he literally broke down crying, although I don't remember there actually being tears. But he said, yes, and he's had a hard time with it since he was really young. And he said, what prompted you to ask me that? And I told him it was just something inside of me. He promised he would work on getting help with the addiction. And I said that I would stick by his side through it. And he said he just felt a lot of guilt. He was always battling between good Dustin and bad Dustin. His mom came to visit and stayed with him for about a month. I suggested we take her to this really pretty old house for it was around Christmas time. They decorate it. And so he bought the tickets and we went to this house and had a really nice time, the three of us. But he had told me so many stories about his mom and his sister, and he made them just sound like crazy people. So I wasn't really sure what to expect, but she was really kind. I actually offered to take her out to dinner one night while she was here to give Dustin some time to himself. So I picked her up and I took her to dinner at this cute restaurant. So we talked for a really long time. I told her that I really loved her son and that he expressed to me on several occasions that he wanted to marry me and that we had some rough patches, but we were working our way through them. And she just looked at me and didn't say too much, but she did say, Nicole, I'm not sure he will ever get married. I can tell how much you love him, but just don't get your heart broken. He had already made her out to sound crazy. So I thought she was just being a jealous mom that didn't want to lose her son to a woman. And I really should have taken her advice. That's a very interesting response. Yeah. Especially from someone that had apparently been kind up to that point. Yes. We spent New Year's Eve together. And in 2019, my brother came up from Indiana with his family and we spent it with him and his family and my mom and dad. And then we went back to my place. He stayed the night. And then the next morning he was acting off again. He broke up with me January 2nd. Four days later, we were back together again. I was so trauma bonded to him. I felt like I couldn't give up on him and I didn't want the relationship to fail. So I just had to keep fighting. We started couples counseling in late January of 2020. I thought the session went well. I was able to articulate what I was feeling like walking on eggshells and always feeling like the shoe was going to drop, you know, waiting for that next breakup. I always felt like everyone and everything came before me. So I felt like an afterthought. Like he would get to this place of feeling so overwhelmed with everything. And he would say, what's the first thing I can drop? Oh, my relationship. That was the first thing to get rid of. But he acted so nice and put together in that session. And he really put on a good show for the therapist. I'd purchased tickets to this wine and food festival and got an Airbnb in Jekyll Island, Georgia as a surprise for Valentine's Day in 2020. And I was so excited for this getaway. 
a week later after our therapy session in early February, he broke up with me again. It always seemed to be around a holiday or before a trip that we were supposed to take together. And now I understand that this was punishment for me asking him to go to couples counseling with me and for calling him out on his flaws during our session. So his mom and I were staying in touch. We were texting and she was still here in the States. She had gone to Orlando to be back with her daughter. And so I told her, I texted her and told her that we broke up and she started telling me how heartbroken she was. He went to Orlando to see his mom one more time in February 2020 before she went home to Columbia. She said that she asked him what happened with us and he sat there in silence and didn't respond. She said, just leave him alone and teach him a lesson. Teach him a lesson with your silence. She said that whenever someone tells him something he doesn't like, he turns into a different person. He's hung up on her multiple times during phone calls when he doesn't like something she said. And that's coming from his own mother. So his mom and I stayed in touch when she returned home to Columbia later in February 2020, and she left me a voicemail. And she told me, sometimes we give too much of ourselves to someone who doesn't deserve it. She said she knows Dustin has problems and that he needs to see a professional. If his mother was telling me this, I wish so bad I just wouldn't believed her. But I still hadn't realized that he had planted the idea in my head that she was crazy, probably for this exact reason. He didn't want me to believe anything she was saying about him if she tried to tell me anything. I didn't talk to him for over a week after the breakup, but I remembered that he had a key to my house and a key fob to get into my complex. So I texted him, asked if I could come get it from him. And he had his out-of-office message up at work. We worked together. He hadn't been to work the prior Friday or the Monday, and this is the weekend we were supposed to go away for Valentine's Day. So I texted him to set up a time to come get the key, and he told me he was back into town. He was coming back into town. He went to St. Petersburg, he said, to be alone, he said. He said he couldn't be in town the weekend that we were supposed to be together because it was just too painful. And he said he wanted to talk because he was a mess inside and he wanted to be able to talk face to face. So I went over there a couple of days later to pick up my items and discuss whatever was on his mind. I don't remember much from the discussion, but I do remember him asking me if he could hold my hand as he talked to me. I thought that everything was too painful. Mm -hmm. I left that conversation in tears, but we didn't get back together, but we still talked every day, but it was more friendship, I guess, than romantic, but he was still pulling me in. Early March, 2020, right before COVID, my grandma passed away. My mom and I went to Illinois for her funeral and he was texting me and checking on me and my mom. It was just really weird to like look back on it because it's like he wanted to be the comforter and the hero and the good guy, even though he had just broken my heart a couple weeks before. Early April 2020, I did this big grand gesture. I wanted to say, this is my last thing to try. So I have an SUV. I decorated the back of my car, like put the seats down. I put blankets and pillows and battery operated lights. And I brought my laptop and I brought a movie and brought snacks and I picked them up. And I surprised him and like drove to an empty parking lot because everything was closed. This was COVID. We sat there with like these battery operated lights, ate snacks and watched the notebook in the back of the car. He was so shocked and so surprised. And he was like, oh my gosh, nobody's ever done something so sweet for me. This is so sweet. And then he said that he wanted to try this again. Let's do this. Let's make things work. 
love bombing started again. He brought me flowers, showed up at my place, like surprising me. He would make impromptu plans. He'd want to spend more time together. So then he came over to my house because we had all worked from home at this point. He came to my house one day in May of 2020 to work with me. And while we were working on the patio together, I asked him where he saw himself in five years. And he said, well, we'll be married. And I don't mean like just have gotten married, but like we'll have been married for quite some time. I brought this up to him later another day. And he was like, I said that I don't remember that. June 2020, we started a virtual couples class. It was six weeks long with six other couples. So I was really hoping this would help strengthen our relationship and get through some tough times. I thought it was giving us good discussion points, good growth, but he was a master manipulator and he knew how to make things sound perfect without meaning any of it, but it felt so real and genuine. July of 2020, we had plans together and we were going to do a themed movie night at my house. And his sister called and said her and her kids wanted to come visit. And so he said, hey, my sister wants to come visit. And I said, well, we have plans. And we're only seeing each other like one day a week. And so I'd really like to keep my plans with you now. I said, well, you make the decision. I mean, ask her to make a plan with you and come another weekend when you don't have something going on that we've already planned together. Well, he called me and was like, she's coming. I'm just at that place of like, I'm an afterthought again. Patterns, all these things are repeating. At the beginning of August, 2020, I broke up with him. We spent the day together. We had lunch. I told him I loved him like I had since month three of our relationship. And he had never told me back. I asked him if he loved me. And he said, I just don't know. So then we got back to my house and I came in, took the dogs on a long walk. And when I got back, he said, are you okay? I said, no, I can't keep doing this. It's too hard. I can't be with somebody who doesn't reciprocate my love. He showed no emotion, not happy, not sad, just empty dead eyes. I said, is there anything you need to take with you? And he said, just the memories. Oh, and my bike that's in your garage. I put his bike in the back of my SUV and I followed him home. And then I watched him dramatically pull it inside. <laughs> I should have stayed away, but the trauma bond. I send him this big, deep, long text and asked him like, is this pain running as deep as mine? You know, and he just responds like, I'm hurting. I'm in pain too. I do want to know why that I can't get to a place to let somebody love me. Just all these words. We continued to talk as friends. And I was just being his supply, even though I didn't know or understand what that meant. But we continued talking September 2020. And he started to be the one that would reach out first now. We set up a time to get together for lunch in middle September. We bought our own meals, but he insisted on buying coffee and dessert after. So I was trying to keep it on a friend level though, but I let him buy it. And then when we were having coffee, he was like, oh, my jacket's in the car if you're cold. And I was like, um, no, I'm good, thanks. That was something he'd never done before, even when we were together. He doesn't have the upper hand anymore, so. Right, because you know. I ended it. Yep. And you hadn't reached out for a few days. Yeah. He just continued to be the one to reach out. And then I started a new job in 2020, September of 2020. And he would 
send me texts of encouragement and have a good day and all this stuff. We were meeting up like once a month or something, but we were still talking all the time. Mid-November of 2020 would have been our two-year anniversary. So we weren't technically like together during this time. But if we were like still talking and we were flirting a little bit, I sent him a text message that day and a couple pictures. He doesn't acknowledge my text. He doesn't acknowledge my pictures. And he was like, I couldn't even bear to acknowledge it. It was too painful. So we're picking and choosing, I guess. Right. So then in November of 2020, he took a trip to Cartagena, Colombia, supposedly by himself. I don't know that I believe that, though. I didn't hear from him the whole time I was gone. I started seeing a new therapist in December of 2020, and I just felt like I wasn't making progress with my previous therapist anymore. Every time I came to her with issues about our relationship, she would just tell me that my mind was telling me stories and that we needed to work on my growth and that Dustin wasn't doing things to be mean. And he, was, he wasn't doing mean things so that I would break up with him because I felt like that. I felt like he was trying to like do these things and be mean so that I would be the one to end things. So we met up a handful of times throughout December, 2020 and January, 2021 to hang out or have lunch. And we would text on a regular basis. And he would often tell me how much he missed me. We're 25 minutes from each other. Like if you miss me, come see me. It's not like we live hours away. We were official again in February of 2021. We had a Valentine's Day date at my house that I put together. I got him a really thoughtful gift, and I think I got a card. He put no effort in, like always. March 2021 was his 45th birthday. So I took him to lunch, and I baked him his favorite cookies, and then I made him a video. I reached out to all his family and friends that I knew or had contact with and asked if they would send me a clip telling him happy birthday, and then I put it into a video for him. And I got so many videos from people telling him happy birthday. And he was so surprised when he watched it. And he acted like that meant a lot to him. But my new therapist, she started pointing things out to me that I would say, like, we argue a lot, but when it's good, it's really good. And she asked me if I knew that that's what people in abusive or toxic relationships would say. And I just kind of like pushed her comment aside because I wasn't in an abusive relationship in my eyes because... He never hit me. He wasn't physical with me. So I wasn't being abused. April 2021, I sent him a text telling him that he kind of had been acting like I was bothering him lately. And I apologized. And I told him that I try to walk on eggshells, but sometimes it's hard because I don't want to filter what I say. And he was like, no, no, you haven't been annoying me. Your care is felt here. And I'd never want you to walk on eggshells with me. That's no way to live. I've just been feeling extra sucky. And I don't always give you the full scoop on everything that's happening because there's better stuff to talk about all in due time. Yeah. So he's keeping you out and keeping leaving you hanging all in mm-hmm. due time. So yes, dangling the bait here. Just stick around. Yep. Future faking me. Yeah. I started my own dog treat business in 2021. And he seemed really supportive. He went to my first market with me. But in the middle to end of May of 2021, he started flaking on me again with our plans and he would cancel or reschedule. And 
we were spending like the one day a week that we got together was now like three or four hours a week. So at the end of May on a Friday night, we were trying to make plans and his bro- he said his brother was calling. He said he'd call me back, but he didn't, he didn't call me back. He didn't call me back till the next day. And so I told him like, we get three or four hours together and you didn't make the plan with me for Saturday. And so he's just being really flaky. He did the same thing to me on Memorial Day. Told me, oh yeah, we'll hang out. And then I didn't hear from him all day. He told me, it wasn't only you that I was ignoring. Is what he told me. Does that make it better? Yeah. And he said, I hope, I hope it helps to know that I thought of you. So he did. He went to my first market with me. And then that was in June of 2021. It's like he wanted to be my first for like all these things. At the end of June, 2021, he said he was going to go spend the weekend in Miami with his brother and dad. And he said, yeah, I've been there in a while. So we wanted to go down to visit. And I didn't expect to hear from him because it's always chaotic when he's there. So I made my own plans that weekend. And then I was surprised when he texted me and said he was going to FaceTime me, which he never did. He sent me a text late that night saying he was so sorry. And he knew he was in the doghouse with me. And he called me the next morning while he was on his morning walk and told me he was having fun with his family. And then he got home extremely late Sunday night and he texted me when he got home. So that was kind of weird because it was like a last minute trip and it was just very odd. And he took a bus down. He said he was taking a bus down. It was very weird. Then in July of 2021, he had friends coming to town to visit. So again, we had plans. He canceled my plans because he found out they were coming into town. Well, and is there any reason, I I don't know the dynamic, that you couldn't have met his friends or maybe done something together since you guys have so few opportunities to be together? Yeah, so we didn't, they got in like at 10 o'clock at night or something and they left early the next morning. He did FaceTime me when they were there so I could meet them. Before they came, I I went over to his place to help him get his place ready and put together to have guests. And while I was there, I found a bracelet on his keyboard stand, a woman's bracelet. And I said, what is this? And he said, I don't know, sweetie. I was going to ask if it was yours. I still didn't think anything of it because he was always saying like how tired he was. And we texted very often. So I didn't even think he'd have time to have more than one woman in his life. His sister was just there the month before with his niece. And so I thought maybe it was his sister or his nieces. I didn't think anything of it. We were supposed to take a trip together to St. Petersburg, Florida at the end of July, 2021. And what do you know? He broke up with me uh, two days or one day actually before my second farmer's market and then five days before our trip. And he just said he couldn't do it anymore. He said that I deserved more. Again, he said he would pay me for what I couldn't get refunded. He started playing the victim of how horrible he was and he couldn't just figure things out. And he wanted me to feel sorry for him and why he always self-sabotages everything in his life. I texted his mom and dad that night. We broke up and his dad responded back immediately and said he was sorry to hear about it and that God would bring him back to me. And I said, I don't want him back. He's caused me too much heartbreak. I'm done. But then his mom didn't respond until the next day. And the information she gave me was unbelievable. She said she was so sorry that he continued to hurt me like that and then just poured it out. 
She said, Brenda moved back to Miami and Dustin drove the truck down to help her move at the end of June of 2021. The Brenda. weekend he told me, yeah. So the weekend he told me he was going down to, to see his dad and his, his brother. I said, his dad Brenda? and brother's name is Brenda. Yeah. I said, who's Brenda? And she said, Dustin had dated her years ago, but they could never withhold a romantic relationship because whenever they tried, he would get violent with her. She said that Brenda lived in the same apartment complex as him for 16 years, just two floors below him. And then she told me she thinks that he's bipolar and has thought that for a long time. She asked me to please stay away from him because he will make my life hard. And she didn't want me to get hurt anymore. She asked me to not tell him what she had told me because she didn't know what he would do to her. And she said she had already lived a really hard life with him and that he lies all the time and you never know when he's telling the truth. So I didn't want to like rat his mom out to him, but I wanted to confront him about him lying to me and going to move Brenda to Miami. He lives really close to the university. And I used to work in the building right across from his apartment complex. I just figured out a way that I could pretend maybe one of my friends saw him moving somebody. So I called him when I got home from my farmer's market that day. And I said, do you want to tell me the real reason you went to Miami at the end of June? And he just acted like, what, what, what do you mean? I said, I'm asking you a question that I already know the answer to. And I'm just wondering if you want to own up to it. He said, I'm sorry I didn't tell you that I was helping Brenda move. I was like, your ex from 16 years ago? So Brenda lived in your apartment complex all this time and you never told me? I said, that seems really shady. And he was like, yeah, I'm sorry. My mom and dad always told me I needed to be honest and tell you about it, but I just couldn't figure out how to bring it up. I said, I don't believe that you're sorry. You're a liar and you can't be trusted. I said, who knows what else you've lied to me about? He goes, oh, so like just this one thing I've done and I'm a horrible person. And I was like, no, I know there's so much more and I just haven't pieced it all together yet. He goes, okay, whatever, believe what you want. When they say believe what you want, I will. You're on to it, yep. <laughs> Yes. I called him back and I said, have you ever put your hands on a woman? Because his mom told me he couldn't sustain a relationship with Brenda because he got violent. And he said, no, never. I've raised my voice in anger, but I've never put hands on a woman in a violent manner. Something still wasn't sitting right with me when we hung up and I became an FBI detective. I went to truthfinder.com and I looked him up. I paid the $30 and I got the background check. As it was scanning through the words that pop up on the screen, potential felon popped up on the screen as the report was running. And I immediately felt nauseous and dizzy and I couldn't believe the words I was reading. And when the report generated, it said that he had an expunged felony record from 2009 for domestic battery by strangulation. I learned that in the state of Florida, if you're a first time felon, that you can do community service or probation program. And if completed successfully, you can get the charges erased from your record. It looks like he did that program and he had it expunged. Which was why he was so curious to know if you had found anything on freaking Google. Yep. 
Oh, I was, I w- I'm serious. Like I was so dizzy. I felt like I was having an out-of-body experience. Felt like I was watching myself on the couch. Like I was standing up and looking yes. over myself. It feels like the world starts tilting and you're now uh-huh. watching your entire reality, just like you're on a carousel. Yes, that's exactly what I felt. Exactly. I dug a little deeper because now I knew Brenda's full name and I dug into public records. I found a restraining order that his other ex-girlfriend, Lisa, had put against Brenda. And I couldn't see the details into the restraining order, though. So Lisa worked at the same university that we worked at, and she was actually his professor during his graduate program when he went to school there. He dated Lisa for about three years. That's what he told me. And he said that their breakup was pretty bad, that she was a really wonderful person. But when they broke up, they were like yelling and screaming at each other. And then they never spoke again. After finding the restraining order and piecing things together over the last year and a half, it totally makes sense to me now why their breakup was so bad. I'm sure that he was stringing them both along at the same time. And then like he would play them against each other and say like, oh, that's my ex. She's crazy. She had a restraining order against Brenda, not him. Correct. I think that he was telling Brenda like, I love you. We're together. All of that. But then he would be with Lisa and spend time with her. I bet you Brenda caught them together and then started like stalking. That's what it was for. The restraining order was for stalking. Probably made Brenda look because she started feeling or acting like a crazy person. Correct. Yeah. Lisa's probably like, yes. you're crazy. Uh-huh. And he was probably telling her that, that Brenda was crazy. So I stayed up late digging and researching and Googling all night. And it was just sickening to me. I texted him the next day. So Tuesday, July 20th, 2021, right before five o'clock. And I asked him to FaceTime me when he got home a little after five that day, because I was confronting him. So he FaceTimed me as he walked home from work. And I made small talk with him because I didn't want to confront him like while he was out in public. He got inside his apartment and I said, so do you want to tell me about the restraining order that Lisa put against Brenda? And he acted shocked that I found it or that I asked. And all he said was, all I can say is that sometimes people are accused of things that they didn't do. The system doesn't always do things the right way. I knew I wasn't going to get anything more out of him on that one. So then I just said, also, I know about your expunged felony record. And he sat there with his eyes wide open and just slowly shook his head up and down in shock. Like, wow. And I said, when were you going to tell me about that? And he's like, oh, I was going to tell you about that. Not after we got married, but before we were married and before we got engaged. And I said, but remember, you broke up with me last weekend. So we were never going to get engaged or married. (laughs) And he laughed. And then he said, oh, yeah, that's right. He just kept telling me, like, I'm not going to talk about this on here, Nicole. If you want to talk about it, we can talk about it in person. I said, just tell me, tell me on here, defend yourself. What happened? And he's like, nope, if you want to talk about it, we can talk about it in person. And I said, do you think I'm crazy? Because I'm never going to talk to you in person or be alone with you ever again. And he said, why? And I said, because knowing what I know now, how do I know you wouldn't do that to me? Then he turned it around on me and he said, wow, 
I can't believe you'd even think I would do something like that to you. That's terrible. After all we've been through, I can't believe you. I can't believe you. Goodbye. And he hung up on me. Right after that confrontation or confronting him with that information, I had counseling immediately after that. I don't think that was a coincidence. I think that was ordained by God. (laughs) I told her what happened and she was like, Nicole, don't ever talk to him again. Go no contact immediately. He is a sociopath narcissist. And she was like, I can't give like an official diagnosis because I'm not treating him. But like, you've been through a lot with everything you've shared with me and don't speak to him. I was like, what is that? I don't even know what that is. I immediately started researching and this is definitely the characteristics that he showed. And he fit the bill for covert narcissists. His mom was still check on me because she knew what happened. And I told her what I found and she knew about it. She ended up texting me that while she was here in December, 2019, that he was talking to another woman. She would hear him talking to her on the phone at night in his bedroom. They had met at the university. She was from Brazil and she would ask him about it. Don't do this. If you can't have a healthy relationship, let her go. And he'd get mad at her and he'd yell at her. And she ended up, she left early from here to go be back with her daughter because Mm. she said it was getting so uncomfortable because of how he was treating her because she was trying to defend me. So it's apparent that he had been cheating on me and who knows what else he had been doing behind my back all those years. And I had two dreams that he was cheating on me with someone. I even told him about those dreams. And he was like, oh, sweetie, I'm so sorry. That's terrible. There's no one else. It's just me and you. You had those dreams while you guys were together? mm Mm-hmm. Another time I had a dream that I got pregnant with twins. And in my dream, he was like, I'll stick around for a couple years to get you through the toddler stage, but then I'm out. What uh, up until that point do you think had happened? Did your brain have a reason to put that together? Or was that your discernment kicking in and telling you? I think all of those things were discernment. I think it was all of those things that these were signs that they were trying to, God was trying to give me and say, run. You ask what woke me up to the reality. And if it was gradual or instant, there's a little bit of both because cognitive dissonance, it really hit hard for me and it still does sometimes. I was shocked when I found the felony record And then when I confronted him about it and the way he hung up on me, I was like, wow, this is who he really is. When I talked to my therapist that night after I confronted him and she said that he was a sociopath narcissist and did not contact him again, stay away from him. I knew that I couldn't talk to him ever again. And I had to remove myself from the abuse. Were there parts of you that still struggled with your new sense of who he was and your idea of who you had originally fallen in love with and the guy you'd known for the last three years? Absolutely. I felt shame because I felt like, gosh, how could I have been conned? I had associated like, I must be so dumb. I associated my intelligence, you know, with being in this relationship. Like I'm so stupid. If I was smart, I wouldn't have fallen for that. It has nothing to do with your intelligence. When they're as good of a manipulator as he was, anybody would have fallen for this. It has nothing to do with intelligence and everything to do with the people knowing the way that our minds work. Yes. 
and how to use that to their advantage. And none of us are so superhuman that our mind cannot be manipulated. If you never have been, I'm not saying like, oh my gosh, be scared because we're all, Mm -hmm. you know, but if it's, if it's something new that you haven't experienced before, that person can pray on the way that your normal emotions and brain chemicals work to bond you to them. Totally. You can't just turn that off if someone is appealing to every weakness that you have. (laughs) No. And I just, I realized so many warning signs. I mean, if you listen, you could just hear them all throughout. He asked a lot of questions, but didn't share about himself. The big red flag when he said like, you didn't find anything about me, did you? When he was asking when we Googled each other. I mean, huge. And then when he said, I'm not good with relationships, the first time he broke up with me, I wish I would have just believed him and went my own way. He got mad when I pointed out his flaw. I said, I felt like he was flaky. He lied to me on multiple occasions. The feelings of uneasiness that I got in my stomach when I was with him, like I always thought it was butterflies. It was not now that I understand what happened to me. Like it was anxiety. You're not the first person to tell me that. I've heard that multiple times that our bodies are telling us something and we haven't learned how to interpret that feeling. Right. I agree with that. Absolutely. That's amazing. Yeah. I just didn't trust myself and I should have. Well, now you know though. Yeah. Whenever we were together, he would always have his phone upside down. He would always break up with me around holidays or before a trip that I took the time to plan. And then he would encourage me to like share my feelings and be vulnerable, but he wouldn't do the same in return. And then like every time we would hang out the next day, he would be in like a weird mood or he wouldn't answer my texts or my calls for like hours. So it's like he would make me just be in that uncomfortable position where I didn't know where I stood in his life. I just couldn't believe that I, I didn't even know this person that I had dated for three years. Who was he? What had been true and what was a lie? Was any of it true? How could I have been so stupid? And how could I have allowed myself to be duped like that? I wondered if other people saw him in those ways or if it was just me. I felt like I was like grieving the death of somebody. Any experiences that helped me heal, I feel like when it first happened that I had to dig around. And just like, I had to investigate and see what I could find because I felt like I needed to know that it wasn't me and that this was who he was. I was still feeling crazy and like it was something I did. So I remembered him talking about this pastor. It was this lady pastor that he went to her church years ago. So I looked her up and I sent her a message through the church website and I asked her to call me regarding a mutual person that we knew. And she ended up calling me. I asked her if she knew him. And I told her that I'd been with him for three years. I told her what the final straw was with finding all that out about him. What she said next totally caught me off guard. She said, before you go on, are you the young lady who came to the church to try and talk to me another time? And I was like, no, but it sounds like you've encountered some other women that probably have a similar story to mine. And she said, yeah, it does sound like that. This confirmed for me that like he had not done this to only me, that there were probably many other times and many different people. 
she didn't really offer any information, but she prayed for me before we ended the call. And she said, you'll be fine. And just thank God for getting you out of there. Things got like really dark in October of 2021 for me. And I just felt a darkness and a heaviness over my home. And so one night I felt like I couldn't breathe and my airways were being cut off and I was struggling to get a breath in. And I was just sobbing. And I can't think of a time in my life that I've ever been that dark. And so I kept hearing voices like, tell me there's a gun in the other room. And all I have to do is pull the trigger telling me that I'm not worthy and no one would miss me if I was gone. And that if I did this one thing, then it would just take all the pain away that I was dealing with. I don't even know how I had the capacity to like send a text, but I texted my small group leader and I asked her to pray because I was so dark and the thoughts that I was having, they weren't my own. And so she called me a little bit later and she said, what's wrong? But I couldn't even breathe. So I couldn't get anything out, but I answered my phone and and she just started praying. And she said, Nicole, just say Jesus and, and tell him thank you for what he protected you from. And while she was praying for me, the darkness started to lift. And she told me that this was all God because she had turned her phone onto silent that night and she planned on doing reports for work that night. And she went in to pull up the reports that IT said would be available and they weren't. And so she turned her phone over and saw that I texted and that's when she called me. So if she would have been in doing those reports, then she would not have turned her phone over and saw my text until much later. I say she's my angel because I think that God orchestrated all of that. And I think she saved my life. I did run into him in December of last year. I was going to the courthouse. I had jury duty on Monday. And so I, I'd never been, I want to make sure I knew where I was going. And he lives down like out downtown near that direction and so I drove down there on Sunday it was my mom and I my mom and I stopped to get coffee on the way home and I ordered the coffee and I turned around and there he was he looked at me like he was about to smile and I just blew my breath and turned turned around and walked away I was not going to engage or even give him a chance to say anything to me walking away like that it felt so empowering I just felt like why would I speak to you like I know you? I don't know you any better than that person sitting at the table drinking their coffee right next to you. I was in control of that situation and it felt good. That goes deep because that right yeah. there represents where you are now. If he's not in control and that your life doesn't include him. That's right. I've just made it a point to go to the places that he and I went together with my mom or with friends and to make new memories over those. I just want to replace the memories that I had with him with better memories and people that actually love me and care about me. So it's been really healing to be able to do that. And I even took a road trip to St. Pete this past May with the dogs. And I stayed in the Airbnb that he and I were supposed to stay in. I had such a blast, but I was just really proud of myself that like I was scared and I was nervous, but I did it and had a great time. The therapist I started seeing seven months before I confronted him. Wow. She's been amazing and she's been so integral to my healing. I really can't believe where I am today compared with a year and a half ago. If that's one thing that I can express is that not all therapists understand this, this kind of abuse. And the first therapist I was seeing when I started therapy in 2019, 
she kept telling me like, oh, he loves you. And he just doesn't know how to express it. And that I needed to be patient with him and give him some time. My current therapist, she picked up on things within a couple of months. And she was trying to get me to take note of things without just flat out telling me he got problems, girlfriend. She goes, isn't that weird that he just doesn't want you to show up at his house and surprise him? That's odd. You should show up at his house sometime. She would point out like, he's always late. He doesn't respect your time. He would tell me, oh, I hear what you're saying, but our arguments were always about the same stuff over and over again. Nothing ever changed for long-term and it might've changed for a few weeks or a month, but it always ended up right back to where we were. That's an interesting point that things would change for a short time, but eventually you'd end up back where you were. And I think that's why so many people stay in a cycle for so long is because they know that person's capable of changing. We're just going to get back. We're going to get back. Yeah. That's, I feel like that's the whole thing. It's like the, they do the love bombing in the beginning, they devalue you. And then it's just part of the cycle. And you keep waiting for that best version of them to come back because you know, it's there. And as soon as it comes back, it's going to be great. Yeah. And you forget every time that you're going to end up back where you were at the low point. Once the cycle, you know, continues and then you have, you have to go through enough of those to realize this is the rest of your life. This is not going to change. No, I did a lot of my own research. I watched a lot of YouTube videos from Dr. Romney Darbasala and Sam Vaknin. His videos are a little dark though, but he's a narcissist and he tells you all about what goes on inside of his brain. He's like an older guy and and he's a professor at a university and he teaches psychology. Wait, is he narcissistic as well? Or he just teaches and he has videos on YouTube? On YouTube. And they are, to hear what he says, it's dark. We think that narcissists hurt us and they're like, I can't believe all the pain they put me through. I hope they get their karma or their payback or whatever, right? Because they've hurt me so bad. They live miserably in their own brains. That's so interesting. I was just having this conversation and that was my theory for a while. That was something that I expressed when it came to my ex and my experience was something in me senses that he is miserable and there's so much self-loathing going on, but they cannot cope. There's such a lack of ability to cope there that what it seemed like was that there was some deep compartmentalization and that's why the lies happen. That's why the lack of emotion is there. They're just so deeply disconnected from their own selves. And it's not necessarily that they don't care about anybody. It's that they are so miserable and hate themselves so much that they have turned themselves off because that's the only way to cope. Yeah. I don't know. I just went on like a massive thought dump there, but I'm definitely going to check that guy out. (laughs) Yeah. I'll send you some of this stuff because I, that's what I wanted to do was understand what is going on in there. Oh yeah. For months, that's all I did was research Google, reverse search images and piece together, you know, because we want to at least understand. I think a lot of people say, let it go, stop digging, you know, move on. I'm like, no, this is part of moving on. Exactly. Because I want to know what the truth was and not just my own version of reality for the last couple of months or years, you know, or or whatever. This is part of it. Yes. I, I did the same thing. I attended a support group for narcissistic abuse victims, and I still go to it sometimes. How did you Um, find that? 
I'm curious because a lot of people ask me questions about that and I don't know where to direct them. How did you find that group? My therapist told me about it and it's grown since I've been part of it. And I can send you that link if it's a resource you want to provide to people. Please Um, do. I'd love to put it in the show notes. Yeah. I think it's like 20 bucks a session and they meet every Thursday. That's amazing. That's so worth it. It is. And it's so good. It's just so good. And the lady that leads it, like she's great. I'm actually taking her trauma. So I'm trying to build a coaching business for people healing from narcissistic abuse. And I feel like sometimes, unfortunately, our experience is our best teacher. And I don't have training. I don't have education on it. I have my experience that I live. And the research that I've done and how I've worked with therapists and how I've gone to these support groups. So the lady that leads it, she's doing a like continuing education credit class for therapists in December about trauma. And she was like, you can come to it and I won't charge you. And you can use that as some of your like credibility, you know, that you understand and know what's happening. Any shortcomings or things I wish I did different. I didn't have good boundaries and I always thought I did, but I learned that I didn't. And I was so desperate to feel that love from a man that I felt like I needed to compromise. So I've learned through therapy that this relationship or like a stand by your man, be patient and things will get better is what was normal to me. I'm the daughter of a narcissistic father. I saw my mom silence herself and not have a voice. And she was the woman who would just suck it up and took it time and time again. I'm now learning to set boundaries and that just because someone is your family doesn't mean you have to accept abusive behavior or attitude from them. I'm allowed to set boundaries and it doesn't make me a mean person. Boundaries are meant to protect us. And if someone isn't treating you with love and respect and is not accepting of the boundaries that you set, then cut off their access to you. It doesn't make you a mean person for doing any of that. And it's actually a really, really healthy way to take care of yourself. That is really complex and messy and hard when it comes to family, especially close nuclear family. Did you know before you're more recent, like in your healing phase with your therapist and everything, were you aware that your dad's treatment of you was wrong? I mean, you said you have a narcissistic father. Would you have said that a couple of years ago? I thought my dad actually, I didn't understand the term narcissist the way I understand it now. I thought when people were like, you're a narcissist, I thought it was just like, you have an extremely high amount of competence. You're just really into yourself. You're very self-absorbed. That's what I thought. So yes, based on that definition, yes, I would have been like, totally, my dad's a narcissist. But all of this information, he still is. He fits this definition too. So um, you, you have a much better understanding now, I think of how like familiar that dynamic was between your dad yes. and your mom and makes totally. more sense as to why you didn't notice, you know, maybe at the, from probably pretty early on with your ex that there were a lot of similarities. Oh, yes. There's so many different narcissists, like covert narcissists, vulnerable narcissists, malignant narcissists. There's like tons of different ones. My ex was a covert narcissist, but my dad is malignant. His friends have called him narcissistic straight to his face. It's very, very evident. So I'm that's- sorry. That's awful. You probably see things so clearly now. I do. No doubts. Something that's blown my mind that I've processed the last couple of years, not that it's really been super applicable, but 
just because someone is family, it means blood means nothing if they are toxic and they do not have your best interest at heart. Absolutely. So what I've gained from this experience is I've gained a voice and I've learned that I can make boundaries and I'm not mean because I do it. I've learned that healing can feel so isolating, but it's really helping to make room for people in your life that really care about you and reciprocate your love. I've learned that I can break the cycle of abuse and that when someone shows you who they are, believe them and don't settle for breadcrumbs of attention. I've gained self-respect. I have gained the knowledge on how to forgive myself and to rid myself of guilt and shame for feeling like any of this was my fault. I have learned that asking for the bare necessities in a relationship is not asking for too much. And I've learned that I'm not a burden and that it's okay to ask for help from other people. I've learned that I don't always have to be the one that holds things together. And I don't always have to say yes. And I'm allowed to take care of myself before taking care of other people and trying to pour from an empty cup. I've learned that my value doesn't come from the external validation of others, but that it comes from within myself and knowing what God says I am. I have learned that God loves me despite what I've been through, and he's washed me as white as snow. I've learned that I am beautiful, and I love who I am. I have enough, I do enough, and I am enough. And there are days when places or smells, sounds or songs trigger me. There are days when the anxiety comes that I'm not anticipating. And there are definitely days that I wish I could erase it. But overall, I've always been a helper. And I've always felt like my life was meant for more. And I feel like my pain is not in vain. I feel like I have so much more to offer others in the way of hope and healing. And I have a great deal of love to give the right person. Hope means hang on, pain in. I want people to remember to have hope, even in their darkest moments. Life isn't over, and there is so much more to life on the other side of healing from narcissistic abuse. A couple of things you said at the very beginning, don't settle for breadcrumbs of respect. Yeah. yeah. And healing can feel isolating, but you're making room for others that love you. Yeah. I haven't heard it put like that that you have to sometimes take a step back and be alone and Mm -hmm. face everything. And that withdrawing can result in making room to let that healing come and let the right people come in because you probably didn't have room for healthy interactions after your experience and after your life was being ruled by chaos. Yes. And confusion and belittlement and messing with your mind. Yeah. I am so appreciative and you express yourself so beautifully. You're very self-aware. That's grandmother life advice right there. Take all of those into account and you'll be okay. (laughs) Thank you so much. I want other people to understand you're not alone. You're not the only person in the world that's gone through this. As horrible as it is, there are other people that have experienced it and you aren't alone. Since I'm a helper, I want to help people. That's what I want the story to do. I want somebody, like you said, like you pulled those few things out and you were like, wow, I hope somebody else gets 
something like that from the story too. I was really reluctant on whether I wanted to share the sexual part of it, but like, that's something that I've uncovered more in therapy. That's something that is becoming unblocked now. I didn't want to do that the first time that it happened and it happened. And, and then that's a reason I held on for a long time too, is because I kind of felt stuck. Like I had this STD now, now it's like, oh my gosh, nobody else is going to want me. I'm damaged. I've got to make it work with him because he's the only person that'll have me. I understand the weight of you choosing to share the sexual side of things. And I really, really appreciate that you decided to do that. I thought about that as you started to share that. And I thought, I'm I'm so glad she made this decision because a lot of us decide whether we're concerned about perception or shame. The reality is that the shame is a facade. There is no shame with it. Yeah. And the scripture, the truth will set you free. Mm. It's not just setting you free. It's for others as well. And when you share the truth of what happened to you, when you realize what happened and then you get that out, you can set others free that have not felt the same freedom Yeah, to get that out and express it and acknowledge it. Yeah. Well, thank you for letting me and giving me the chance to tell my story because I do feel like it's a big part of healing for me and knowing that to share these parts of me and these intimate pieces, you know, of what happened in my life is that hopefully it will help someone else that's really struggling and they will be able to have that hope, right? The don't give up. There's so much more good. There's so much good on the other side of this and just hang on, hang on. I'm incredibly thankful for Nicole's willingness to hold nothing back in our conversation. She could easily have tailored this, but she didn't. The YouTube channels and the narcissistic abuse recovery support group that Nicole mentioned are in the show notes. I'm so excited to be able to share resources like this with you. I think the most common question I've received on Instagram is if I know of a group like this. And until I spoke with Nicole, my answer has been no, but not anymore. I also reached back out to her to see if she had anything more to share with you. And she did. So make sure you check out those show notes. Thank you for being here, for subscribing, and for coming along with me as I learn the world of podcasting and this community takes shape. I have so many incredible stories coming next that honestly, I'm having a hard time waiting each week to share the next one with you. If you found value in these conversations and you haven't already left a review, it would mean the world if you took a quick moment to write one or just share this with a friend who would appreciate it. And if you found this episode to be impactful, post about it on Instagram and tag me at space and purpose. I would love to hear from you. 